We are actually in the text of Daniel this morning, looking in chapter 1. And as our reading this morning, we are going to read the chapter. I'll read the chapter aloud. I ask you to stand in God's honor for the reading of his word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family, And the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after they were to enter the king's service, Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official, for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men of God, uh, he gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father, we approach you. And Father, we do worship you because you are God. Who else deserves our full attention and praise and love? And so, Father, we seek to offer that to you this morning. 
Father, as we worship you. And I just pray, Father, that you might guide uh, this message and that what remains might be pleasing to you as we take an honest look at this young man that you called, Father, to be a leader and to be a man of integrity. And, Father, may we examine that in our own lives where you have also called us to be who we say we are. So just guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as I thought about Daniel, sometimes when we think about the Bible, it's almost like, well, the Bible's something that happened a long time ago, and, you know, it's... it's uh, not connected to today. But I want you to consider, scholars said, most come to the point that Daniel, in this chapter, chapter 1, he was probably somewhere between 13 and 14 years old. And I want you to consider the picture. An enemy has entered God's land, conquered the land, come into the temple and taken away the, the gold And all that was used to worship the Lord God and carried them off to a foreign place. Families were moved. Life was totally disrupted. Of course, there had been some who had been killed in battle. And it was pure chaos. And in the midst of this, this young teenager, he becomes a focal point. And and God begins to work through him. And you know, as I thought about that, I thought, what would it be like? It's hard enough to be 13, 14 years old. I was just trying to figure out how to deal with that thing called acne. Yeah. But what we're talking about here is much more than just blemishes on your face. We're talking about a young man who was taken out of his home, who was brought into a foreign land, and they were trying to brainwash him to become somebody else that they wanted to mold him to become. And... This happened way back in approximately 606 B.C. And as we read about this, we see that these young men were uh, given a test. I want you to notice first, though, as we read about them. Let's start here at verse 3. As it says... um, the king ordered Aphanaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites. And it gives us some specifics about these Israelites. They were from the royal family and the nobility. They were some of the best and brightest and good-looking crew of Israel. And it says not only were they without physical defect, not only were they handsome, not only were they studs, We see that they showed aptitude for every kind of learning. They were quick in their learning. And and we're not, the word here is not talking about just a bunch of facts. Some people can learn a a lot of facts and spit them back out on a test. We're talking about they had aptitude in order that they could take what they learned and be able to apply it to life. In other words, they had a lot of common sense (laughs) as well as a lot of information that they used. They were quick to understand. And it, Pick these out that would be qualified to serve in the king's palace. 
Notice here, he says here, uh, this is um, down in verse 4, he says, He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The Hebrew word literally means the book. In other words, throw the book at them. The book of Babylonian learning. Give them a crash course in three years to teach them everything that our wise men, our astrologers, our leaders know. And, And this wasn't, you know, a course that had some weak electives in it. This was deep. Hard stuff to study that they were to learn. Uh, scholars said con- contain stuff like math, astrology, uh, magic, medicine, and maybe up to a dozen solid courses that were to be learned. And this was meant to change these young men, to take away their allegiance to the one true God, to worship many gods, to take away their background as part of a chosen nation, a holy people, a people belonging to God, and to become a part of Babylon, to serve next to the king. And there was even a name change here. Uh, And notice these names as they were changed, and they were all after the gods of Babylon. Belteshazzar means prince of Baal, which was the main god of that land. And then to the others, too, were all named after gods of that land. Um, And one was the sun god and another prominent god of fire. All in order to change their identity as well as what they knew, what they believed. But there's something else here that's not shared in the Scripture. And because it's not shared in the Scripture, I can't be 100% certain. But Josephus, the historian, when he lists Daniel and these other three men, he says that they, in order to serve in the king's service, were forced to become eunuchs. If that was the case... um, Not only was this young man dealing with being ripped away from his family and having a crash course in philosophy and understanding and and schooling that was totally contrary to everything he had ever known, he was having to deal with his manhood being ripped away from him. Matter of fact, turn me to the book of Isaiah. It was interesting to me in my study in... Isaiah 39. Starting at verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace... And all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security. In my lifetime. It was interesting as I studied this and looked at the timeline of the kings 
that uh, many of the kings were saying that, many of the scholars were saying that there was anywhere from a 70 to 90 year uh, difference here in the kings. King Hezekiah served 70 to 90 years before this present king when Babylon invaded. I don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but there was this from a prophet that was shared down the road here. There's going to be some of your relatives. Notice what it said about they were from his palace. They were nobles. They were princes. They were the royal family. It sure makes an argument that it may fit in for Daniel being a part of that crew. I mean, in that type of suffering that occurred among them. I want you to notice here, back to uh, Daniel chapter 1, and then in verse 8. Daniel was, he was given a choice. He was supposed to change his diet. And he was supposed to eat from the king's table. Verse 8 we read, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. (laughs) And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. See, it wasn't just a matter of I'd be healthy if I didn't eat you know, greasy food or, or the food that's rich and, 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 and you know, tastes good, but it's not good for you. I'd rather eat vegetables. It was also a matter of following God's law, the dietetic laws. There were certain types of meat that they were not to eat. And, and he was trying to be true to God. Here's a young teenager that was saying, man, I, I want to follow God. He lived in a time where he probably heard the prophets teaching. He lived in a time where his family told him the truth and and. and gave him the inspired truth of God that, that was passed down. And, and he, he wanted to be true to that. It, it was more than just his health. It was his faith. It was who he was. It was his integrity that was going to be called into question. And so this picture here where he says Daniel resolved, it's actually a word that comes from the Hebrew that means established strength. And it, it, it talks about taking threads and weaving them together to make a strong cord. Or a strong rope. And and so the picture here is that he was taking what he had learned earlier. What he had heard from the prophets. What he had heard from his parents and his grandparents. And those who loved God. Those who worshipped the Lord God. And and he was hanging on to that. And he was weaving those into his memory and into his life. So that he could survive this test. This examination. And and he was taking these truths. And and he was using them as a foundation to give him strength. (laughs) As the days and the tests ahead. We're going to come. And you know what's interesting? When you think about everything this young guy went through, there's no word in here about him being bitter. Can you imagine if something like that happened to you and your world was totally turned upside down? It would be so hard not to be angry and bitter. But we don't see that picture of this this young guy, Daniel. We see, We see a guy who's, I'm not saying he was perfect, but he was clinging to God and he was seeking to try to figure it out. And I want you to see how he handled this. He he didn't print out a bunch of, or I write out, a bunch of leaflets and hand it to everybody and say, hey, we're going to have a rebellion. Let's, uh, Let's have an underground campaign. But he went directly to this leader and and he spoke to him. He, He was very wise as a young guy. 
And I thought it was interesting here. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. He was sharing with him. He said, I'm not trying to insult you. but This is what I believe. This is who I am. And if I do this, it goes against who I am. And evidently, he made an impression on this official. Look at verse 9. It says, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But I, but I mean, he, the reality of it is, verse 10, he says, um, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. He said, in other words, I'm afraid to deal with you, young man. He said, because this king might decide to give me a haircut and go 12 inches too low. Chop off my head. This is, you know, this is a, a wicked guy that they were dealing with and, and, and struggling with. It's like the story of the breakfast one morning as this chicken and pig were walking by and they, they saw this big sign and... And, you know, on the sign, the advertisement pretty much shared and said, uh, ham and eggs, breakfast. And the pig looked at the chicken and said, hey, for you it's a day's work. For me it's a lifetime commitment. And for this official, he said, hey, for me to step out like this, it could be a lifetime kind of commitment. It might cut my life really short. And what occurs. We see how God intervenes here as we go down through the text. And, and uh, starting at verse 11, he makes this request. He says, test your servant for ten days. This is Daniel. He says, give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink. <laughs> and then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants with accordance with what you see. So this official, he agreed to this, and he tested these young men for the 10 days. This is one of those 10-day money-back guarantees. <laughs> and it says at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. You know, it's easy to look at these circumstances and say, man, that really worked good. Maybe old Nebuchadnezzar wasn't such a hard ball after all. Maybe he was a little softer than we thought. Maybe old Daniel was a little sharper than we thought and, and that he was really in control of what occurred. But I want you to look very closely here. There are several verses here that tells us that God was the one really in charge. Look at verse 2. It says, and the Lord delivered. And then down in verse 9 we read, Now God had caused. And verse 17, we read to these four young men, God gave. See, God was the one who was in charge throughout all of this chaos and all of these difficulties and these circumstances. Turn me to Proverbs 16, verse 7 which is a great uh, verse of Scripture that reminds us of God working with those who love Him. Proverbs 16, verse 7 reads, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. What a beautiful section of Scripture. 
And God showed forth his mercy as he was in control toward his young servant, Daniel. As He came through the test. And then as we read through the scripture, you come through and you see how God had moved and, and how he had given them favor before the king. Like I said in verse 17, God is the one who gave the knowledge and the understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. God is the one who gave them the ability to learn. And, you know, we need to remember that, guys. When we have accomplishments, we are able to accomplish and we are able to succeed because of the grace of God. Because God allows us. He strengthens us. He gives us what is needed in order to secure that success, in order to be able to Make that accomplishment. They graduated with honors and God was a part of it. And matter of fact, as we read 18 through 21, it's, it's beautiful. It says, um, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, they presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked to them. And he found none equal to these four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And look at verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. You see, who we saw Daniel as a young man, we saw Daniel later in the book as an older man. Daniel was a man of integrity even at 13, 14 years old. What you see is what you get. He was a man who walked the walk, who talked the talk, who was the real deal. And we need that as much as anything I can think of. People need to know Jesus, and for some, as it's been said, you're the only Bible. Man, they watch us. They watch us. I love the story of the preacher that he got on a bus one day and um, he paid for the, for his bus ride, and uh, the bus driver gave him back change. And when he looked at his change, he had way too much change. And he said to him, I wonder what this is about. He thought, meh, it's no big deal. I'll just keep it. But then God started working on him. That's not your money. you got too much money. you got to give that back. So he's like, oh, okay. So, so he went back to the bus driver, and he said, I think there was a mistake here. I think you gave me too much change. And the bus driver said, there's no mistake here. He said, I visited your church last week and you preached on honesty. And I just wanted to see if you're honest. He almost didn't pass the test. Life's tough. And sometimes we don't quite pass the test. I get it. But as we look at Daniel in this chapter, he is a beautiful picture of a man who walks with a living God who goes step by step, not looking too far ahead, who lives his life in a matter of integrity. It makes a difference. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 7. This is the Amplified. The righteous man walks in his integrity. Blessed, happy, fortunate, enviable are his children after him. Think about that, guys. We're made righteous by Jesus. But we live righteous one step at a time in obedience to the Holy Spirit walking with God. 
And that's what the righteous man does. That's, that's why we're still here. That's the call to continue to walk in integrity. Not to be the righteous man that everybody knows. Hey, he's righteous. He's a preacher. That ain't the deal at all. It's one step at a time. One decision at a time. One step that leads to a, a walk that's seen day after day and that makes a difference. And we live in such a crazy world where all the rules have changed. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure there are any rules. Sometimes I think people just do what they want to do. It reminds me when it talks about in the Scripture. <laughs> Remember in Genesis when God was getting ready to wipe out the world, He said everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And sometimes it seems that way to me. As, as I look around, there's rules that I used to know that oh, it seems to be fading quickly. And people are looking for something that's real, something that's a foundation. And, and what is it they're looking for? A person of integrity. And that's you and it's me. That's the call. It's one thing to talk about Jesus. And it's one thing to share the gospel. And praise be, that's our call. But not just to share it, but to be it. Matter of fact, as you look in the scripture, the word witness, more often than not, it's not a verb, it's a noun. And you shall be my witnesses. Remember in Acts 1a. That's a call. Guys, people need that. That's what Daniel shows us, and it's still there. There's somebody out there um, that you know. It's crazy, you know, when kids go to college, a lot of times. And many times, um, there are those who, in our schools, our prof professors who are not kind toward Christianity. Um, one of our own, I, I here when he went to college a couple of years ago, and they actually, I thought this was crazy, but they actually had like two lines. If you believe this, you stand over here. If you believe this, you stand over here. And basically, everything that you and I see is truth. They were trying to call those people out. And by the time it was over, there were just a few kids over here who were making a stand for God's truth. And most are over here because of all that peer pressure. So what do they need? They, they need those threads. You know, like I said, Daniel had those threads that made that strong cord and that rope and, and make you and I be a thread that God will use to pass that message and, and to show what it means to live for Jesus. Not just written words, living words. Uh, in testimonies that we're able to give um, in this crazy world. May God use us. I close with this story of Philip Bliss. Uh, Philip Bliss wrote a lot of hymns. As a young man, he was very gifted. Uh, he was very poor. And uh, as his life, as he began to grow up and he learned to play several instruments... People saw his giftedness, and there were different businesses that supported him to teach music. And then as he began to go around and he taught music, he fell deeply in love with Jesus, came to Christ, and then he began to teach songs that worshiped God. And he would teach these music conferences, and, and he would be a part of, of um, revivals and, and, and times that pointed to the living God. And, and God did a mighty work in his life. And, and he and his wife worked side by side. And, and they were very close. And God moved through them. And one night he went to a revival. And uh, D.L. Moody who in Chicago. One of the most well-known evangelists of that day. He, he was preaching. And well the music wasn't too good. 
And uh, you could tell that D.L. Moody was kind of struggling. As he looked out in the audience, though, he heard one guy singing really good. And it was Philip. And so when it was over and, and D.L. Moody was walking around, he came up to Philip Bliss and he said, Man, you got quite a voice. He goes, Well, thank you. He said, Why don't you come back here tonight and lead the music for us? Man, we could, we could use the help. And he's like, Well, okay, I guess. So he came back, he led it, and then, and then D.L. Moody said to Philip Bliss, He said, I want you, hey, I don't know what kind of work you do, but you just need to come with me and we'll travel around and, and serve Jesus. And man, I could use you to help him. He's like, No. Let me pray about it. And he said, no, I don't think it's what I'm supposed to do. So he got this other guy, Ira Sankey. But it could have been Philip Bliss that went with him. Then a few years later, he went home for Christmas in Buffalo to see his family. D.L. Moody contacted him and said, can you come up here right after Christmas and help with the music? We're doing some meetings, and, and I could sure use your help, Philip. <laughs> so Philip managed to get a train ticket and, he decided that he and his wife would go and their two small children would stay behind with his parents. And as they took off on that train trip, there was a lot of snow. And as they crossed this one bridge going through middle America, the bridge crashed, tumbled down. And the train went down into a ravine. And then it caught on fire. Philip managed to somehow squeeze free in the wreckage and come out of the train, but he noticed that his wife wasn't with him. And so he climbed back into the flames and he tried to get his wife out, but he ended up just staying with her. They didn't know for sure how many people were on the train in that incident. But it turned out, uh, out of 160 passengers, 92 died. And part of those, who they never found their remains, was Philip Bliss and his dear wife. All of America at that time in the 1800s uh, wept <laughs> because of this guy that loved the Lord. And they actually had memorials all over the United States. And in Chicago, D.L. Moody spoke in a memorial for Philip Bliss and his wife. 8,000 people filled this place. 4,000 were waiting outside. And uh, as he spoke, uh, D.L. Moody spoke, he shared that he learned the night before Philip Bliss's death, he actually spoke at a church, and he said, I know not what awaits me, God kindly veils my eyes. Another place, uh, it said he, he had sang a solo that night, I'm going home tomorrow. Isn't that something? How God, how God moves and, and how God works and some of the songs uh, that Philip Bliss, we've sung some of them. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hold the fort. He wrote the music, not the words to, It is well with my soul. Jesus loves even me. Let the lower lights be burning. I will sing of my Redeemer. Once for all, the light of the world is Jesus. Whosoever will 
wonderful words of life. Philip Bliss was 36 years old when that bridge fell and train plummeted. One man was so moved, he was 36 too. And he was a musician and he decided to travel with the evangelist Philip Bliss had been traveling with. Because God got a hold of his heart. Seemed much too young to leave, 36 years old. But what a legacy was left. With this beautiful music and with this daily walk step by step that impacted people's lives. Hey, it's a legacy that was left in this music and in his very life. And and here as I close this, think about this with Daniel and and on down to Philip Bliss and and on down to you and to me. We're not going to get out of this place alive. Unless he just decides to come back and take us up, it's great. But unless of the rapture and he comes back and takes us up. One of these days, if that's not the case, people are going to be sitting around, they're going to be talking about us. What will they say? Well, they say, man, he's a real deal. Well, they say, he wasn't religious. He loved God and he loved people. What will they say? He, well, they say, oh, he was one person at church. He was a different person at work or at home. If you knew what he was really like. Or will they say, man, that guy was real. I miss him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the testimony of Daniel. His life as a young man continued on as an older man, Lord. He had what we call sincerity or integrity. Father, your word says the righteous man walks in his integrity. Blessed, happy, enviable are his children after him. Father, here we are at a time we call response and commitment. question is, how will I be remembered? What is my legacy? Thank you for Daniel's. What about mine? Father, as we have a time to do business with you, an altar that's open, a place to pray, a place to present ourselves to you, work on our hearts, Master. And may we simply obey your call. Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand.